This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by our vision group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Douglas Laney, who is the Data Analytics Innovation Fellow at the consultancy West Monroe. So, Doug, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. No problem at all. The pleasure is all ours. So, we always start, Doug, is by getting our guests to give themselves a, a very brief introduction into their background and journey to date. Obviously, you're very well known, so most people will probably know this story, but uh, but just kind of give it us anyway. Well, let's see. I, you know, I started my career in the big, I was a big eight at the time with Arthur Anderson. Um, so in, in effect, I've sort of come full circle as West Monroe was, uh, as we say, born from the ashes of uh, Arthur Anderson after the Enron scandal. So a few people uh, there decided to, to form a consultancy with um, and focus maybe perhaps a little more on uh, values and integrity. <laughs> but anyway, so then I, I spent some time in the expert systems world after that, uh, got into uh, data warehousing with one of the early um, data warehousing ETL, extract, transform, load yep. um, vendors, built the industry's first uh, data warehouse uh, project methodology, which is, I think, still used by IBM now, um, 25 years later. And then got hired by, by Metagroup, which was a spinoff of Gartner, that was later reacquired. And then I rejoined uh, Gartner again later on as a senior analyst focusing on things like big data, um, data quality. We'll talk a little bit about infonomics and the genesis of that in, in a moment. But uh, ultimately, I found my way back into the consulting world um, as an innovation fellow. So it's a bit of a multifaceted role where I, I do new offering development and uh, pinch hit on, on projects um, as a data strategist. Um, I, I do networking, thought leadership, speaking and writing, that kind of stuff. It's a, yep. it's a multifaceted, uh, very interesting role that suits me uh, perfectly. Good, good. Um, well, thanks for the... Thanks for the background, I guess. Before we delve into the meat of the topic, and I'm excited to, to, to do so, tell us a little bit more about West Monroe as a business. West Monroe is a, a, a business and technology and you know, digital consultancy, about 2,000 uh, uh, people based in Chicago, focused mainly on North America, but we have we do have a number of inter international clients. Um, our, our focus is kind of on the upper mid-market, um, so we don't typically go real head to head with some of the big global SIs. We do mostly uh, onshore uh, work. So it's very high touch, um, uh, more intimate kinds of work and often blends. It's, it's often multi-disciplinary, um, you know, blending things like um, operational excellence, uh, uh, CX, 
um, technology and, and industry expertise. So um, that, that's probably about, about it. A great culture, awesome leadership, very um, uh, egalitarian. You know, everybody's ideas matter. It's quite different than <clears throat> some of the other consultancies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, real uh, pr- progressive uh, values oriented uh, culture. And, and, and it shows in the, in the work that we do as well. Nice, nice. Out of interest, this is just more out of curiosity. How much of your time is spent working on client assignments versus the thought leadership piece and speaking and you know all that type of stuff? Yeah, probably ten to twenty percent of my my uh, time is spent you know keeping keeping fresh and in the mix, right? Right. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, so, look, really excited to jump into this. I guess before we do. Mm-hmm. Excited to tell the audience that you very kindly offered to give away some free copies of your book to some of our listeners, and I guess you're mm-hmm. going to tell them at the end how to uh, at the end of the episode how they need to do that to to kind of get their hands on on a copy, right? Yeah, anybody who's listened and reaches out to me and mentions this episode, in you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, or or uh, probably LinkedIn is probably the best best yep. way, um, and mention this episode. I'll put you in the running for a for some copies yeah nice nice well th- thank you very much for that so look let's jump into the uh into the and i guess um your book infonomics right mm-hmm. world famous um we so we as a business we host a ton of data analytics leadership events and we had one here in the uk in manchester about three weeks ago and um i walked past a group of people that were actually talking about your book um and this was just as me and you had started to talk right so um i guess you're everywhere doug but where did that come from i guess we you know where why did you start that kind of piece of work you know what was the catalyst for that you know what what, what drove you to to come at that point um so I'd always thought that data was was an asset and, and data was was property, just like any other kind of you know um, uh, you know intellectual property, right? Or maybe even physical, maybe even physical property. <clears throat> but then after um, the nine eleven terror attacks, some of our clients, uh, while I was at uh, Meta Group, you know, the predecessor to to Gartner, reached out to us lamenting not only the the tragic loss of life but also the loss of their data. And so what some of these companies did was submit claims for the value of the data they lost, and we helped them evaluate that that data. Um, And the claims were denied by the insurers who suggested that um, data wasn't covered by their their property and casualty insurance policies. Hmm. Um, There were a number of court cases that that ensued, and um, it it, it had insult to injury. The insurance uh, standards body here in the US updated the standard for such policies to explicitly exclude data from them because it wasn't wow. uh, entirely clear. Um, and then not to be outdone, the accounting profession followed suit a f- couple of years later and updated a key financial standard to prohibit the capitalization of data on balance sheets. So even if you're Facebook, Google, Gartner, whoever, the, the value of your data or content cannot be represented on the, uh, on the balance sheet as an asset. Well, okay. Even though, as I determined, clearly meets the criteria of an asset. An asset is something that's owned and or controlled, is exchangeable for cash, and uh, what accountants say uh, generates probable future economic benefits. So Mm -hmm. data clearly meets the accounting definition of an asset. It's just that the kind of the keepers of the definition of what constitutes an asset and property have doubled down on their antiquated notions that um, uh, that that it isn't, uh, it doesn't 
isn't one. Um, so that kind of got my attention. And um, I started thinking, wow, maybe this is why so many organizations uh, fail to manage their data with the same kind of discipline as how they manage their uh, their other assets, their traditional physical and financial assets, even their you know human capital. Um, and uh, so that sent me down a road to, to think about, you know, what do we do with assets? Uh, so the subtitle of the Infonomics book is to um, measure, monetize, and manage data as an actual asset. And so those are the three things that, that we do with assets. We understand their value. We track their value um, along the, the continuum of, of the, the value chain. We, uh, we manage them in certain ways. We apply you know, asset management principles and, and practices, and then we monetize them. We generate value streams from them, not necessarily sell them directly, but we use them to generate generate um, measurable value streams. And it's something that most organizations have just have not been doing with, with data. We've been collecting data, we've been integrating it, we've been reporting on it, um, sometimes using it, you know, in, in AI, but really not in a in a disciplined way that we 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 do with other other assets. So that's uh, it's kind of the the road that I've been on to help organizations become more disciplined about their their data uh, as an asset and treat it as an asset. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So I guess data is an asset by definition, as you've mm-hmm. kind of rightly described. But I guess seemingly not allowed to be used as an asset or framed in in that way. Is that fair? That's fair. I mean, I I, I would I would uh, add to that that many organizations have gone down the road of starting to measure their data and starting to apply asset management principles and looking at a variety of ways to monetize their data um, and, and do so, you know, in, in, and those measurements are, are done internally. They're not anything that they you know report on externally. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So yeah. I guess you, you touched on the point there of monetizing data, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously there's a, a whole host of debate in the industry and conversation, if you will, around what that means. And I think as with most things in our industry, it means different things to different people and different organizations. But there's this whole, you know, balance of is that the selling of data or is that the, you know, use of data to drive better informed decisions, which ultimately drives some kind of value, right? Where where, where are you sat on that spectrum? my my thinking on on data monetization is fairly liberal and and, and broad. Uh, when I when I rejoined Gartner, they said, uh, "Okay, you're the big data guy. You're going to be um, you're the guy who came up with the three V's of big data. You know, the volume, velocity, and variety." People used to define big data, um, uh, and and they said, "Okay, so you're going to research big data and advise our clients on big data." Well, the questions quickly turned from what is big data to um, how do we manage big data to what do we do with you know all this big data now that we, we have it mm-hmm. yeah. um, and uh, so I started compiling use cases of how organizations are using data and analytics in innovative and high value ways and uh, you know a dozen stories turned into 50 stories turned into over 500 you know stories that I've got right now um, which is actually the topic of my next book which is a compilation of these stories. But uh, as I did a, um, a kind of a meta-analysis of these stories to, to identify some patterns, um, some of these patterns started to emerge as to how organizations are using data and analytics in, in innovative and, and high-value ways. Um, and so the, 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 
sometimes, yes, they use data internally or, or uh, what I call it, uh, generate indirect data monetization. They use it to improve process performance or effectiveness or to reduce risk or improve compliance. They use data to uh, develop um, new products or new markets or new business models. They use data to build and solidify partner relationships. Um, and then externally, uh, companies can use data to uh, barter or exchange the data uh, in return for you know, commercial um, considerations, either in return for um, goods and services or favorable commercial terms. Um, they can use um, data to enhance existing products or services. So think about any product or service that your company offers today and how you could or may already have enhanced that product or service by infusing it, you know, baking data into it. Um, you can also sell your raw data through data brokers or data markets. You can offer insights and analysis and reports to others. Um, and then there's a way that's come up more recently that I didn't write about in the book because in light of uh, the GDPR and, and various uh, privacy regulations, clients started telling me that, well, we, we can't monetize our customer data. And so I, I've kind of called BS on that. <laughs> this represents kind of a lack of creativity on, on your part. Um, so what I advise clients to do and what we're working on them with is to flip that model to say, listen, I can't sell you my customer data, but I can sell your stuff to my customers without ever exposing who they are. And then I can take a cut of the action, a referral fee or a commission for that. And so that's what uh, what I call inverted data monetization. Uh, which is which is typical for for customer data. So imagine I'm a hospital, and um, we're working actually working with a hospital who knows who its diabetes patients are. It's actually a health plan who knows who its di diabetes patients are, but they can't sell that data to anyone. But they can sell other products and services like uh, healthy meal plans or gym memberships or uh, at home glucose monitoring test kits, right, mm -hmm. to those patients, and it's a win 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 for for everybody. Um, and it's a way to monetize your customer data without, you know, exposing who they are or violating, you know, privacy uh, regulations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's really interesting. I never so there's about eight or nine different kind of patterns that I've seen in, in how organizations are monetizing their data. And yeah. um, most companies just don't think through them broadly enough. Um, they don't consider the range of, of data and how it could be integrated. They don't consider external data sources. They don't consider the, the range of... Um, the extended business ecosystem of, of stakeholders, uh, suppliers and customers and partners and partner suppliers and customer suppliers and partners, customers <laughs> that all yeah. could benefit from your, your data. So yeah. we, we run them through workshops to help them kind of expand their thinking and, and ideation around, around um, the possibilities of monetizing data. And then we take these ideas and we run them through a kind of a feasibility gauntlet um, if you will, where we look at um, different kind of characteristics like um, their economic benefit. Are they practical? Are they marketable? Are they? Is there some societal benefit to them? Are, is there some ecological benefit? How uh, manageable? Um, are there technology challenges? Is it scalable? Is it legal? Is it ethical? And then we see kind of what, what which ideas bubble to the surface. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I guess of those eight or nine patterns that you see or have seen in terms of the monetization of data yeah. and how organizations are doing that. Has there been any kind of trends in terms of what seems to be the most common? Well, the most common is clearly using data to improve your own process and performance and effectiveness and decision-making, um, yep. uh, using it probably more so in recent years to 
uh, improve compliance, to you know, report on and, and monitor compliance. Um, uh, probably sharing data, you know, bartering or trading data or exchanging it with partners um, and suppliers in return for these kind of commercial considerations like discounts or uh, uh, typically, you know, discounts or, or uh, payment terms or things like that, yep. um, becoming much more more commonplace. And also to to solidify those partnerships, I think that's probably the probably the fastest growing area of of data monetization is is using it to um, to streamline, secure um, partnerships, and and you know get something back in return for it. A lot of companies have been giving away data over the years, like retailers in particular. Um, and um, it's become a slippery slope for them having to continually prepare data and organize it for specific um, suppliers and partners. And uh, so we work with them to kind of cut that off and say, all right, we're going to give you this basic level of data. We're going to give away this basic level of data, but there are going to be premium types of analytics and details that we're going to make available for a, for a price. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, uh, that makes sense. So obviously there's, this more standard stuff that has become the norm, which, you know, is kind of driving insights, right. That then turns into value through some kind of uh, action, I, I guess. Um, are there, have there been any, in your opinion, kind of inspirational examples of, you know, people at the being more creative as you, as you called it before? Uh, one of my favorite stories is, is, is Walmart. Um, so Walmart realized that they had a, you know, great search engine, which, is, which was taking into account nearly 50 million you know, searches per, per month and, and using that to, to get people to what they wanted on, online you know, quick, quickly um, without you know, multiple clicks. But what they realized one week was there was a certain search term that people were searching for that um, resulted in a very high degree of shopping cart abandonment um, and um, or people leaving the, the site. And what people were searching for was the word house. And so the search engine was taking them to housing goods and housewares and dog houses, and things like that, doll houses. <clears throat> it wasn't at all what, what people were looking for. Um, and so they analyzed this and they realized that those searches corresponded with a, a week in which a certain um, television show uh, had premiered. The medical drama House starring... Hugh Laurie doing such a great American accent. I didn't even realize he was British. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, so they re what they realized was that their search engine wasn't taking what into account. It wasn't taking into account global trends, what was trending. Um, it was only kind of staring at its own navel to you know, help people find what they wanted. It wasn't paying attention to what was happening in the world. And so once they upgraded the search engine to take into account um, social media trends, um, um, they were able to reduce shopping cart abandonment by about 10 to 15% across the board. And in Walmart terms, that's like, you know, a billion dollars a year of additional sales. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So plenty of real clever examples. A lot of them involve bringing in external data um, uh, or, or, or introducing like new kinds of analytics or, or uh, introducing analytic models from one industry into another. You know, clients always, often ask me, <clears throat> what, what are others in our industry doing? And my, my flippant response to that is, you know, why do you want to be in second place or third place? Why not do what others in other industries are doing and apply that to your, your business, your business model. Um, so a, a fun example of that is um, the, the uh, police force in, in uh, Los Angeles. Um, I, somebody identified was looking kind of at like patterns of crime. And they said, you know, these kind of remind me of aftershocks. 
And so you know, seismic aftershocks. So they applied seismic algorithms to, to, uh, to estimate or guesstimate where, um, or anticipate where uh, crimes are going to occur based on previous crimes. And they were able to reduce, um, let's say deployed resources into those areas. They were able to reduce violent crimes by like 30%. Um, so a really cool example of, of applying a, a, an algorithm or model from one industry into another. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the whole concept, and I'm really kind of eager to get your thought on this, Doug, but the whole premise of ROI is something that we speak about yeah. and debate nonstop, right? And I guess it's uh, it can be quite a, a gray area for very obvious mm -hmm. reasons in terms of of course, it's easy to identify the cost, right? So what, what it costs you to build that data warehouse or it costs mm -hmm. you to buy that piece of technology or build that team. But I guess the right. the value that's driven out the other side then and who it's attributed to and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. it becomes a real gray area. But I guess, have you kind of stumbled across anything or managed to put a, a figure on these types of things in terms of the the market size for you know monetized data and i guess what an individual organization can expect to to kind of gain yeah, from doing this stuff I, I don't really do market sizing too much anymore i'm no longer with gardner but um we're really you know specialized in, in that um but i've seen you know numbers in the in the multiple billions um even up to a trillion dollars of of data of value in all the data that's you know produced by by organizations mm -hmm. um but uh, I would say, you know, probably most organizations don't even achieve 10 to 20 percent of the, the full value potential from their, their data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, why is that out of interest in your opinion? <clears throat> uh, again, it's a, I think it, one, it's a lack of vision, right, uh, of what we what the art of the possible with data is. So that's why I've identified these patterns and I, you know, I speak and I, I talk about them. I run these workshops for organizations when we when we run. Um, an ideation workshop for a client, we typically will generate uh, 30 to 40, sometimes 50 new ideas for monetizing their, their data. Wow. And obviously you can't execute on, on all of them uh, very readily, but when you just take the top three or four ideas, we're, we're typically, you know, for a recently for a, a $2 billion company, we identified uh, easily a hundred million dollars of incremental revenue um, from from their data, just looking at the top two or three ideas. So uh, it's pretty, and so this leads me to, you know, have the, this conversation with clients, which is, you know, don't build a data warehouse or a data lake um, unless you self-fund it. And so fund it by generating these use cases, going through the uh, kind of a rigorous economic analysis of, of them to determine the, the, the cash flow or savings or whatever from, um, uh, from, from these, um, implementations uh, and then use that to fund the the uh, you know the data warehouse or data lake initiative uh, or analytic initiative itself yeah who who needs to be involved yeah. in these conversations because is i guess what mm -hmm. i see an awful lot of is in my experience and i'm sure you've probably seen the same but if you think about the last 10 years but five years especially there's this being big hype right around big data and data science and AI and a load of businesses kind of jumping onto that journey and probably not really having much of a strategy as to why they're doing it beyond not wanting to be seen not doing it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Obviously, you know, like a, a peer pressure and obligation, but 
you know, when you articulate it like that, you know, okay, we can come up with 50 ideas and, you know, mm. the top three or four of those ideas could make a business a hundred million dollars. Well, I don't think there'd be a CEO on the planet that wouldn't say, yes, let me have a bit of that. Right. So, so I, I, I sometimes struggle to understand what stops this from being, you know, <laughs> a little bit easier to execute on really like who, yeah. who's who's involved in these conversations from monetization perspective well, some of the challenges are you know the, the 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 data itself becomes more complex once you, you know, trying to integrate it um the problems are are um, more more sophisticated and, and and challenging and the the answers to these problems tend to be kind of black box algorithms versus just hindsight oriented reporting which everybody's <laughs> comfortable with yep. and there's a lot of inertia in organizations to continue to do, you know, hindsight-oriented dashboards and scorecards and enterprise reporting. Um, it's what we've done for decades and people are, are comfortable with it. They understand it. And once you get into the realm of advanced analytics, it becomes a, an uncomfortable area for, for some people. But uh, yeah, also a lot of companies will say, listen, data monetization isn't our thing. You know, we're not, we're not in the business of monetizing data, even though in reality, every company today is a data company to some degree, um, probably more of a degree to more of a degree than they realize. Right? Yeah, and um, yeah, so I think there, I think there's a lack of vision, lack of inertia, um, lack of rigor around the the economics. Uh, you know, ideally, these are led by a, a chief data officer or someone at, at an executive level who is uh, the overseer, you know, responsible and accountable for uh, for data assets. Uh, I'd like to see you know the CFO or you know the accounting folks involved much more than they are. Um, even somebody who's got some kind of economics, you know. Um, so I, I think that's, that's probably who really needs to needs to be involved. And then yep. business leaders need to step up and say, yeah, we we need to transform our business to digitalize aspects of our business, and and uh, we need to make an investment in it. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I guess so. Let's say there's some. You know, business leaders out there now, and they're looking at this, thinking, "Yes, we'd love to, you know, get more value out of our data. We'd love to be able to put a tangible, monetized figure on on what you know the work we've done and what we've got gotten back from from that." Yeah. How do they get started if they're on that journey? You know, what what are you kind of saying here? Are the few things that you should be thinking about? So one is taking a, a product management approach to to data. And, and thinking about data in R&D terms or in a, in, a, in a product development teams, you're creating some kind of data product, whether it's some kind of digital offering or, or a data set that you're sharing with, with, with someone else or some analytic output that you're embedding back into a business process. You need to take a, need to take a, a product management approach to that. Um, and uh, I, listen, I'm the first one to admit that there's nothing really new about Infonomics. It's about adapting ideas about how to build products, how to measure asset value, how to manage assets uh, and apply that and, and even economics and how to apply those concepts to, to data. So I think that first step is uh, to say, listen, hey, let's go through an ideation exercise and then, and then test these ideas along these multiple feasibility dimensions and, and see what floats to the surface uh, and then use that to build the business case to do more with data. Maybe we have to build a data warehouse, or maybe these uh, ideas that we've generated can make use of existing data warehouses or data lakes that we we already have. Yeah, yeah, fine. So, yeah. so it's so we're talking there about going through this 
exercise to create ideas, think about mm-hmm. potential use cases for that. Okay, so let's say now we're at that point. Mm-hmm. What are the next steps there in terms of the level of investment? Because I presume that's probably the first question on most CEOs' lips, right? Yeah, sounds yeah. great. How much is it going to cost me? Um, so these, and I guess... Well, take the monetization workshops and the feasibility assessment, you know, take a few consultants um, under a couple of months probably to, to do for most companies. Right? And maybe we'll scope it to a particular type of data or a particular business unit uh, if it's a very large organization. But yeah, you're just talking a couple of months of, of probably consulting time to, to go through this exercise, yeah, including yeah. the feasibility assessment, maybe even market testing or you know, pressure testing some of the ideas with the stakeholders themselves, whether they are internal or external stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you get to the point, okay, so you've come up with those ideas and then what happens if and when it's a case of, right, to, to go and deliver this, it's going to be right. X amount of millions of pounds and maybe that yeah. business is thinking, we don't have that or they're very risk averse, they don't want to do that. What, what, what are the options in the kind of levels of right. sufficient investment, I guess? So here's here's uh, an interesting thing that we're we're doing at West Monroe is we've partnered with an investment bank who who will come in if a client says listen we're uncomfortable making this investment or we can't pull the trigger on it or we can't move budget around um, this investment bank will actually fund the data monetization initiative and and then pay a residual um, a royalty back to the data owner so it's a hmm. pretty much a no risk model for a a company to embark on a data monetization initiative uh, without having to fund it it, itself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. I've not heard of that before. Pretty unique. Yeah. Good. I know you touched upon it earlier around kind of, you know, the main challenges, but I guess Mm. what do you think is the, the kind of key highlight in terms of what holds organizations back from actually just generating more value from their assets? And data is a scary thing. It's hard to understand. It's kind of a, a intangible and amorphous. And you know, until an organization starts applying <clears throat> the same kind of measurement and management rigor that they do to their other assets, uh, they're going to continue to be in this uncomfortable world of not truly understanding data. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. And there's a lack of data literacy. We haven't even touched on that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's just you know, what is the art of the possible with data. Um, what does what does data mean to the organization? It's not all about just training on tools, but data literacy. Uh, you know, understanding data as an actual economic asset, as a fifth factor of production for organizations, and what does that mean? So, we run uh, data literacy initiatives for organizations to help level up everyone with understanding the the art of the possible with data and analytics, and and um, how to treat and manage data as an actual asset. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense because I think obviously you'll be more than familiar, I imagine, but, you know, all the research out there suggests, right, you know, 80% of mm-hmm. most data analytics initiatives fail to deliver the value they're expected to deliver. And often that's very, you know, it's all around cultural change or literacy and all of that type yeah, of stuff. Of skills, right? Yeah. How, how, how do you bake all of that in then into these conversations? Well, I, I would hope that this is why they hire a you know an experienced consultancy um, like West Monroe or, or or others to to really help them and um, and bring them along. So, um, yeah, I mean that that's how the conversation goes. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, no, that makes sense because I, I guess when I think about the organisations that we partner mm-hmm. with, and you know, we we do work for 
you know, Fortune 100 companies who are going through lots of growth in this area of, you know, through to VC-backed startups. The, if, if you were to ask me what the key trends are that I've noticed over the years, it's that, as I mentioned before, often a lot of them start to go on this journey and they're not too sure why. They see everyone else around them doing it. So there's an obligation. We kind of should be doing that. And, and, and the strategy almost seems like, right, let's go and hire a CDO. But then we're tasking them with this, you know, you need to go and get the tech, you need to build this data warehouse, you need to go and hire a team full of data scientists. And the whole change piece, but then the whole monetization piece that kind of comes with that is is almost like an afterthought. So yeah. I, I often struggle because I just think from a from a business perspective, mm. why wouldn't you start with that point? So, okay, what is, because surely the only reason organizations are doing any of this stuff is to, mm. at some point, try and get some monetized value from this, right? Otherwise, it's just a cost, is it not? Right. Or, or just appease business users who are clamoring for just access to their data. Really. Business people often say, just give me my data and I'll, I'll do the rest. <laughs> well, one, they're not really capable of doing anything more than just hindsight-oriented reporting on it or maybe some basic regression analyses. Um, plus, then they can't manage or integrate the data, and then they go back to IT and say, oh, well, I need more support than I did originally. And IT says, well, let's define some business cases. Well, the users say, I really don't know how I want to use the data. I just know that I want access to it. And then they go back and forth, and after you know, 18 months have passed, nothing's really happened. Yeah, no. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Okay. So let's let's look to the future then. I guess five, ten years. Yeah. What does the future of data analytics look like and more particularly kind of data monetization? I think sustainability is going to pay a play a big role in a couple of ways. There's a, a lot of talk about uh, companies reporting on their sustainability and reporting that to their boards or creating sustainability bonds <clears throat> that they that they issue. Um, and, and so there will be a a need to uh, uh, integrate access and integrate sustainability related metrics for these uh, reporting hmm. situations and, and and bonds. And then also there's the sustainability side of, of data itself. Data is a huge cost. Um, data centers are very expensive, generate a lot of heat, use a lot of energy. So that's becoming an increasing concern for organizations. Um, they tend to keep around a lot of duplicate data which becomes not only a cost, but a risk. Uh, and, and so it's something I think companies are becoming more sensitized to. Um, some of our clients have used the data valuation models that we've published um, that are in the, the Infonomics book <clears throat> to re reduce their um, data footprint um, by identifying data assets that are you know, duplicates or data assets that are uh, more costly than the economic benefits that they're generating. And then they've gone through a defensible disposal or defensible deletion type uh, um, scenario with them. Yeah. So that's something that's coming. I think we'll start to see metadata and data become more uh, closely attached at the hip. Right now we keep our metadata catalogs over here and our data over there, and they're not really well connected in, in any operational um, operational way. So I think we'll start to see that. You know, Very much like our own cells carry the DNA within them, right? I think we'll start to see data carry along its its metadata, uh, which makes it that much more usable and, and trustworthy. Um, I think we'll start to see data and analytics tackle the problem of, um, of, of information trust and, um, and truth, which has become a real big issue in society. Um, 
And uh, yeah, and I think we'll start to see more, more data being accessed kind of where it lives rather than having to move it into data warehouses or, or data lakes. You know, people have, you know, for, for decades have been talking about data virtualization or data fabrics or data meshes. And there are certainly legitimate use cases for them, but um, architecturally don't really accommodate things like historical trends or uh, dealing with um, what are called slowly changing dimensions. And so there, there's some limitations to data virtualization, um, but, but I think we're, we'll, we'll be overcoming them over time. Yeah, you touched on there earlier about, you know, having a lot of data, it's costly, mm. it's risky. We're now getting conscious about how bad it is for the environment, right, and and, and things like that. Yeah. But I guess just based on your experience to date, cost of having and storing all of this data in most cases for the majority of organizations, does the cost of it typically outweigh the value they create from it? It would be something good to measure. I think every company should, should measure it. <laughs> that can be your next book, Doug. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say inherently probably the value is is greater, but not but the margin. When you think about any raw material, you want to generate yeah. margin on it. I think the margin that companies generate on their data is pretty slim compared to where it could be. Mm, yeah, and mostly because they're not measuring it. You know, the old adage is you can't manage what you don't measure. And I think because most companies don't measure their data, they don't manage it as well as they could. And um, accordingly, um, any asset that you're not managing particularly well is one that you're not in a position to monetize well. And so for many companies, this becomes a vicious cycle of not measuring, therefore not managing, therefore not monetizing their data as well as they can. And so the idea behind Infonomics and the services that we, we now offer at West Monroe is to uh, help companies reverse that curse or flip the script, as it's called. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the whole measurement piece is obviously just a, an industry-wide problem, right? Because that's we've just been banging on about this for for years now. But how do organisations get better at that? As in, like you know, practical, real life. <laughs> how, how, yeah, how I do mean, you... they would look at how they measure other kinds of assets: measure their their quality, their utility, their um, cost basis, their uh, market value, their contribution to income streams, um, their impact on even non-financial KPIs. These are all basic models that we've put forward for how to measure um, measure data in, in various ways. Some of them are more focused on managing data better. Some of them are more focused on utilizing data better. Some of them are more trailing indicators. Some of them are more leading indicators. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Well, Doug, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure, I guess. Before we finish up, what does the next, we've talked about the next five to 10 years for the data analytics industry, but what's the next five to 10 years look like for, for you? The, the three V's guy, you know, came up with the three V's for, for <laughs> yeah. big data, right? Um, and then the three M's for for um, for for infonomics, the monetizing, managing, and measuring. So I think uh, hopefully sometime soon it'll be the three R's for me, uh, retirement, uh, relaxation, and, and <laughs> reading or something like that. Nice. But yeah, I enjoy teaching. Um, so I've been teaching class MBA class at University of Illinois, which is available to anyone um, globally. It's an online um, MBA program, uh, top 30 program in the world, I believe. And they've gone entirely virtual a few years ago, which is quite prescient of them, um, given what's happened in the world. Uh, and the courses are also available for anyone you know, not in an MBA uh, program. They're available on Coursera. Um, and of course, the book is available in the upcoming book 
will be a, a compendium of 100 use cases with 100 analyses of those use cases by 100 different experts around the world. It's going to be wow. quite an interesting reference book for those who feel, feel they're kind of a lacking vision in their, their organization. It's a, it's a book meant to be, not to describe how to, to, to do data, but um, more about you know, what what's the, that art of the possible. And it's meant to yeah. inspire or uh, shame <laughs> organizations, business leaders into doing more with their data. Yeah, well, that'll be interesting. I look forward to, uh, to reading that also. Okay, so I guess if anyone's got any questions, any people out there, businesses out there that might be keen to, you know, speak to you about working um, with West Monroe, whatever the case may be, LinkedIn, is that the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, LinkedIn's good. Um, you can yeah. also reach me at my uh, my email address, dlaney at westmonroe.com. A reminder again, um, for any of our lovely guests, um, get their hands on a free copy of your book. What do you want to know? I don't know, know how they like this podcast. Yeah, fine. So re- <laughs> reach you on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll give out a half dozen copies to them. Nice. Maybe the first half dozen people, I guess. Right, Doug. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank right. you so much for, for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate your time and best of luck with the, the new book. Thanks again for having me. Really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcast's as they arrive and please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two if you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests then please feel free to reach out to me thanks for listening and i'll be back next week (laughs) 